0: Anybody ready for the word of the Lord? If you got your Bibles, let's get quickly to Romans chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be camping out in verses 21 through 24. If you have not been with us, we have been uh, traveling, journeying through the book of Romans, and uh, we are getting close to the end of uh, chapter 3. And I'm excited about today, because today, uh, Paul takes a turn. We've been talking about a lot of bad news uh, in regards to Romans and the gospel. Uh, But now, Paul is getting ready to shift gears here, and I'm excited to preach it. Amen. If you're there, say amen. Amen. If you're not there, say put it on the screen, (laughs) Dean. See? Technology, you got to think, got to think, got to use your brain. All right. Anyways. Uh, You can take it back down. I was just messing around. Yeah, take it down. Yeah, there you go. Okay, go. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. Lord, we just pray, God, that you would just move, that you would use the word of God, Lord, to bring power in this place, Lord, to prick our hearts and to encourage us and to give us hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Family, it would be the 90s rap group, Bone Thugs in Harmony. Now, if y'all act like y'all know who Bone Thugs-N-Harmony is, we're going to have all types of problems. Bone Thugs, you know, busy bone, crazy, some of y'all crazy bone, y'all, yeah. But it'll be Bone thugs in harmony who would ask that relevant, weighty, and fearful question in all of humanity in their hit song, Crossroads. And here's the starting question. Now tell me what you're going to do. No, I'm just let I got it a little bit. I still got it. Y'all want me to do it that way? Let me go ahead. Let me tell me what you're going to do. No, I'm just saying. Now tell me what. It sounds kind of corny when you talk, like say it. Like watch this. Now tell me what you're going to do. Say it doesn't sound right. Now tell me what you're going to do when in, it ain't nowhere to run, when judgment comes for you, because it's going to come for you. So, well, the question this morning, church what are you going to do when, the, when judgment comes for you? And oh, it is going to come. Well, we know from a few weeks ago when Ken opened the case 3920, the case of humanity versus God, there is nothing we can do. There is nowhere to hide or to run. We are guilty. And judgment is coming for us all. Ken articulated in chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, which makes it clear, there is no one righteous. We are totally, incomprehensibly, inexpressibly wicked and depraved. None is righteous, no, not one. Do you hear and feel that? Come up close and listen. None is right before God. No one. Do you not know what Hebrews says? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. No one can save you from God. So when Paul says none is righteous, what that means is we are guilty before the living God. When Paul says no one is righteous, you can interpret that as well as all are guilty. No one is perfect. We are unrighteous. That's what it is to be unrighteous before God. It is to not be perfect. Therefore, bone thugs in harmony is right. Judgment is going to come. In fact, it must come leading to the inevitable question of us all, what am I going to do when there ain't nowhere to run? And if we're honest, and if we're woke these days, there are many suggested solutions to our human dilemma. How do I get right with God? Let me say that clear. The question of all humanity is this, how do I get right with God? That is why religion exists, because man seeks to be right with God. How else can he escape a sense of lostness, a sense of guilt, a sense of cosmic loneliness, a sense of emptiness, a sense of meaninglessness? How else can mankind eliminate the fear of death, the dread of the punishment from a holy God? And try as we may, if you slow down long enough, you can sense something inside of yourself that says something isn't right. And that something that isn't right is you. Something isn't right. Man's default response is to try harder and do better. But try as we may, we are like hamsters running on the wheel, always running but getting Nowhere. Now, I want you to note this down. Because to be right with God, you have to be as righteous as God. To be right with God, you must be as righteous as God. Well, define that for us. God requires us to be as righteous as him, which means we are absolutely without sin. But none of us are. So to be righteous before God is to be without sin ever. Okay? You can never sin, ever. That's the only way you can be righteous with God. So let me make this clear. If you start do, uh, being a good boy and a good girl right now, it doesn't matter. Because you got history. Okay? Forever. God requires righteousness. That we neither have or can or or we can produce in it within ourselves that would keep us from hell. Right. God requires a righteousness from you that you neither have, you cannot buy, and you cannot produce. So let's answer bone thugs and harmony question. Now tell me what you're gonna do when there ain't nowhere to run, when judgment comes for you. Answer is there is nothing i can do or you but there is something god can do and indeed he has done god has solved the human dilemma but watch this god has solved our dilemma by what by providing a righteousness for us god, you give god praise for that God has solved our dilemma by providing for me the righteousness that I need. That is our focus this morning. I want to explore the righteousness that God has provided. I want to explore that. As we explore these next few verses, you should be able to walk walk away today with the correct answer to this question, depending on how you like to say it. How do I get right with God? Or some of you may say, how do I become good with the man upstairs? Or some of you may say, how do I get to heaven? It's the same thing. All right? And then we want to explore that. Picking up in Romans 3, the Apostle Paul unveils the greatest news of all. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned, and everybody knows this, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Four things we need to understand about this righteousness, and we're going to take them one at a time. Four things we need to understand about this righteousness that saves us. Number one, it is a righteousness apart from the law. Number one, it is a righteousness apart from the law. Number two, it's righteousness, it is righteousness witnessed by the law. Number three, it is a righteousness that has been manifested. Number four, Jesus is the righteousness of God that has been manifested. And I lied when I said number four. Number five, it is the only righteousness that saves. And you're wondering how long this sermon is going to be. That's five points, Dexter. It is the only righteousness that saves is number five. All right, so I just want you to imagine with me for a second. I just want you to go there with me. I know I'm a crazy man, but I want you to go there with me. I want you to imagine something that we don't like to imagine a lot. You are, you have died and you are standing in front of the living God. All right, just imagine that for a second. If you don't want to imagine it, imagine someone else. But it's coming. And just think about it for a moment and you're standing Before God, and God says, bring me the verdict, whatever your name is. He tells Michael, the archangel, bring me the verdict. And he opens it, and it says, because, whatever your name is, because you have fallen short of the glory of God, you are sentenced to eternal fire where there will be darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Michael the Archangel then says, Take him or her away. And before they grab you, you hear out of the mouth of God, but now. You hear from the mouth of God, but now. But now what? But now who? But now? God, but now what? Tell me. I want to know. I don't want to go to hell. Tell me what it is. Please, oh, please, oh, please tell me. Every Christian in the room should have a but now somewhere in your timeline where you can comprehend when I say but now. Let me help you out. All right? Remember the, uh, the song Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound? He uses but now to do what? To contrast, right? To show the polar opposite. That's what he uses. But was blind, but now I what? See. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I my chains are gone. I know. I know you're supposed to work to wait to the end of the sermon to get hyped, but I cannot help myself. We've been talking about bad news this whole time, and now Paul lands on this word, these two words, but now. How do you get right with God? Most people believe that they can accomplish this by their good works. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now you'll notice the term in this verse, righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness, or in the whole phrase, is the righteousness of God. That word is incredibly important in Romans and in heaven. This word righteousness has eternal weight. So we need to make sure we understand all of us collectively when I say righteousness, what I'm talking about. God's righteousness means, according to Grudem, God's righteousness means God always acts in accordance with what is right, in is himself the final standard of what is right. God's righteousness is the outward expression of God's holiness and purity. So if God is the very meaning of what righteousness is or the essence of being righteous, we must measure who is righteous by God. And God measures your righteousness by his righteousness. Think of it this way. If I gave you a sheet of paper with three lines, I know what summer and school is over with. But if I gave you a sheet of paper with three lines on there, and there's a hair difference between the two or maybe a couple centimeters. And I told you to X out all the ones that are under 12 inches and not straight. What would you need to determine which ones measured up and were straight? A ruler. Correct, class. Because the ruler is not only the judge of the lines, but it is the very standard of what it is to be 12 inches and straight. And when it comes to what is righteous, God is the ruler and we are the lines on the paper. And so what is righteous, class? God. His character, his holiness. Now you may feel good about yourself this morning because you keep comparing yourself with your neighbor. Because I'm going to measure you by that. That's not the ruler. God's the ruler. He's going to measure you by Himself. And God is the standard of what is right. You want to know why He is? Because He's perfect. That's why. He's perfect. Okay. Number one. Righteousness apart from the law. There is none righteous, no, not one, according to what Kim preached a couple weeks ago. None of us live consistent with God's moral standard, therefore, we are not getting into heaven. He is righteous, we are unrighteous. What is your greatest need this morning, church? And you probably don't feel it every single day. You may think your greatest need is money, a better job, mental stability, mental stability, happiness, a vacation, a man. Maybe a woman, maybe more food snaps. I don't know why I put that in there, but it's there. No, it's not what you need. Our greatest need is returning to a standard before God where we are righteous. That's our greatest need, to return to a standard before the living God where I am considered righteous. Our greatest need is to be made perfect. Now, we often say things like, no one is perfect, and we keep going. But not to be perfect has eternal consequences. So how can you obtain it? How do you, how do you reach it? How do you get right with God? And most people think I need to get better at keeping the Ten Commandments. When people first start coming to church or going to church, they start going because they're trying to get right with God. But sin has disqualified us. We are irreparable. Our sin is incurable. Our efforts in our status is unchangeable, and our fate is inevitable. But another way has been manifested to make us right with God. Verse says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now watch what he says here. This is very critical. I want you to lean in here. This is very critical. Paul is saying, there is a righteousness or a way to be made right with God or, some of you may say, or a way to escape God's judgment that exists apart from the law. Now, now, now I want you to look at your Bible. I, don't, I want to make sure I'm, I'm not making this up. Look at your Bible. It says apart from the law. You see it, right? It's there. God does something that completely wipes away all of your sins. Not three-fourths of it. He does something that wipes all of your sins away. Now, i got to slow down here because I really need our church to get this. Now, you'll see that in verse 21, it says, apart from the law. And I just want to give you a little word of warning when you're studying the Apostle Paul. Whenever you see the Greek word, namos, or law, you want to be very careful how you interpret it. Because Paul uses it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it refers to legalism, which I'll explain in a minute. And sometimes it refers to the ceremonial law of God, which has to do with cleansing and things like that. Sometimes it refers to the moral law of God. We talking about the Ten Commandments, right? And sometimes it refers to the Old Testament Scripture. But in this case, in this verse, Paul uses the word law Two different ways in one verse. He uses it two different ways. First of all, he says, this righteousness is apart from the law. That's what he says first. And then he says, but it is witnessed by the law. Now, words are important. Why? When you're trying to understand the word of God, it's important, right? What happened when Jesus and Satan were in the wilderness? Where were they using? The word of God. Using words, they mean something. Even more important, words are very important when you're dealing with core doctrines like the gospel. If you cut this the wrong way, there is no salvation for you. You, I'm walking very carefully here because the weight of eternity is in this verse. And if I get it wrong, I send a lot of people off and I don't want to do that. So indulge with me for a moment. I want to be careful here. All right, he uses it in two ways. Let's look at the first use. He says, this righteousness is apart from the law. Now, what I believe Paul is saying here, the way he uses the word law here is in the sense of legalism. That's a big fancy word, so let me make it plain. Legalism in its basic meaning is man trying to make himself right before God by his own human effort. That's what legalism is. Legalism is you trying to make yourself right with God on your own effort. Let me go old school here. Remember, they used to draw the ladder, right, when they wanted to compare the law and grace. They drew a ladder that went up to heaven, and the ladder was what? A picture of man trying to climb his way into heaven. That's legalism. That's what legalism is. But pay careful attention now that we understand what legalism is. So what Paul is saying is there exists a righteousness or a way of being right with God that has nothing to do with you. There exists a righteousness that has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with what you have done or what you will do. This is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. This right here. Christianity says you can't save yourself. God can only save you. God saves us. We don't save ourselves. Okay, now wait a minute, Dax. Hold up. Wait a minute. I'm not just going to let you get away with that. You're not just going to tell me that there's a righteousness that has nothing to do with me that I don't have to earn. Certainly, Pastor Dexter, I need to go to church at least. I need to at least read my Bible. Come on. God's not going to give me anything free. Nothing frees in this world. I had to. As Kendrick Lamar said, all my life I had to fight. You're not just going to come up here and tell me that God's going to give me something. You can't mean. There is a way for me to be right that requires nothing of me. If you ask me that question when I leave this stage, I'm going to say, yep, that's absolutely right. I think my alarm is going off. Somebody can cut it off. That's what I mean. Okay. So there exists a righteousness... That is apart from the law, apart from legalism. Why should you rejoice this morning over that? Let me tell you why you ought to rejoice. According to Galatians 2.16, let me give you some more Bible, because if I don't give you enough Bible, you need to say shut up and sit down. But let me give you some more Bible, all right? Galatians 2.16 says this. Knowing that a man is not made right with God or justified by the works of the law. A man, watch this, knowing that a man is not made right with God, By the works of the law. Why? Galatians 21, same chapter, chapter 2. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you can be saved by your own human efforts, Jesus dying is pointless. Why would God slay his son if you could save yourself? This is what Paul is saying. Now, I run a youth ministry called Epic, right? Stone would agree with this. He knows what this is, right? This is what the young guys say to me. Dex, I know you are good with God because you're a good dude. Ask my wife. They are astonished when I say, man, I'm not good with God because I'm a good dude. I'm good with God because Christ is a good dude. Listen, you can give God praise for that. I need to drink some water anyway. you. I'm good with God because Christ is a good dude. Listen, person in the room, if you are saying that you are unworthy today, welcome to the club of unworthy people. And I'm telling you, me being the pastor of this church has nothing to do with me being right with God. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Fannie Mae Loomer, and Ralph West, none of them are right with God because of what they have done. You can pay your tithes. I know they're telling you that stuff. So pay your tithes and you'll be good with God. They're lying. It's a ripoff. Go get your money back. Get your money back. Hey, you lied to me. I need, I, I, I need my money back. You can clean the church which I wouldn't mind, but none of it can help us obtain this righteousness. Paul is talking about in this verse, all commendable acts are excluded. You can't earn it. We need to get this firm in our mind. Apart from the law, you cannot earn it. I can't stress it enough. Well, if I can't earn it, how do I get it? Well, just hold on. I got more explaining to do. Number two, it is a righteousness that has been witnessed by the law. Righteousness apart from the law. Now, righteousness witnessed by the law. Remember, Paul uses law in two different ways. The first the first time he uses it, he uses it in a sense of legalism. This time when he refers to it, he's referring to the Old Testament. So when he says witness... By the law, he's referring to the Old Testament. He says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now, Paul is being very sensitive to his audience because he's writing to Jewish people. And he knows that he just dropped a bomb on them. And Paul is very sensitive. Let me open up a parenthesis here, Christian. You need to know when you're witnessing to people who you're witnessing to. And you need to be sensitive of their culture. And you need to be sensitive to what is offensive. Because if you don't, you're going to mess this whole thing up. It's not just, just I just got to say truth. It's not just say truth. It's said in a way that they can comprehend what you're talking about. And sometimes we're just babbling about the law and animals and sex. And people, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? I don't got any goats or anything like that besides LeBron. No, I'm just playing. Yeah. My bad, I just threw that in there. I just, you know, you know. But that ain't got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Y'all just ignored (laughs) it. All right, let's get back focus here. Why does Paul bring up the Old Testament? Y'all crazy. Yeah! Let me bring it in, let me bring it in. He said that God is making people right apart from keeping the law. Now, come on, the law, thou should not steal, thou should not murder, the Old Testament, all the ceremonial cleaning, the civic law. God, in other words, what Paul is saying, so you feel the weight of this, God is making murderers, fornicators, and thieves righteous people. now. Now, if you think that you're not a thief, you steal the glory of God every day. You think you're not an adulterer? You cheat on God every day. now. Now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people. What questions would you have if... This man, Paul, comes into your neighborhood and tells you that there's a righteousness apart from the law. And the entire time you have been raised, you have been taught that the way you get right with God is by being a good boy and a good girl. That's hard to, that's hard to digest when, when that's what you've been taught. And here's how I picture the conversation as a Jew. He would say, wait a minute. This guy is introducing something new here. How can you say... Righteousness is apart from the law. We are the people who hold the law. We are the ones who love the law. In fact, they practically worship the law. They were the ones who strive with all of their might to keep the law. And now he comes along and says it is apart from the law. That's like somebody telling you you've been working out in the gym. You're pumping weights. And somebody says there's a way to get muscles without working out. I will be so be so mad? You mean to tell me I could have been looking good this whole time? That's what they be selling you on TV them pills and stuff don't buy. It. Any commercial at the 11, turn the TV off. You're not, you're, not, you're not in your right mind. You're just not. Church, Paul is, is is Paul presenting, and this is a question, church, is Paul presenting a new way to get right with God? No, he's not. This righteousness has always been the way to be saved. Now Now back up to the verse. Where Paul uses this verb, and we're going to zoom in on this, he says manifested. This verb denotes that this righteousness has always existed. So Paul is not saying that this just happened or this is new. This righteousness, apart from the law, has always been the way to get right with God. It has always been a reality. Paul drives his point home by saying, if you read the Old Testament rightly, you'll see that it has always existed. Watch out for people who say the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Or the Old Testament is irrelevant. Grace has always been the way to salvation. Jesus in the Gospels begin to exegete himself from the Old Testament. He begins to show himself throughout the Old Testament, which is why Jesus is exegeting to them everything about himself. Even in the Old Testament, the law didn't make people righteous. It showed them how sinful they were. And it... And and it pointed them to the mercy of God. The whole point of the law, hear me clearly on this, is to show you that you are a sinner. That's the point of the law. It's to show you that you are a sinner so you look at the law and say, I am hopeless. I'm not Superman. I'm not Superwoman. So you say, what does this mean for me, Pastor? (laughs) No boasting for you. You will not be able to get to heaven and say, I'm here because I decided to place my faith in Jesus and the rest of those idiots didn't. I was a smart one. I heard the gospel and I came. Yeah, you won't be able to boast in your faith. You can't boast in your membership, you can't boast in your church attendance, you can't boast in you passed the prayer chain sent to you on Facebook. Don't listen to those things. They say, pass this on so you can get to heaven. Don't send me those things. I, I hate when I see it. You can't boast in the sacrifices you made for the ministry. Boasting is absolutely excluded in the presence of God. Now, let me slow down. Because I know some of you are wrestling with your flesh in the room. You want to be able to do something to get right with God. And the reason why is because if you're like me, you know how jacked up you are. And you feel unworthy of anything from God. And so in our society and everything that we do, everything is saying, earn it, earn it, earn it, earn it. And you're wrestling. But I'm telling you, according to the scriptures of the holy God, he's saying that there is no way for you to earn righteousness in your own human effort. It's no other way. Okay. Let's get on the same page here. So you're saying that God has made a way for me to get right with him that doesn't require me to earn it. Absolutely. And you're saying that this way has always been the way since the fall of Adam and Eve. Yes. Number three, it is a righteousness that has been manifested. But how? Has God made something known that has always been there? When Paul uses the word manifested, it is not the same as reveal. Those are two different Greek words. Now, the word reveal that you find in some places like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, is the Greek word "apothos." It means to unveil something. It means to unveil. Veil something. The book of Revelation is the apocalypse of Jesus. It is unveiling Jesus. It is making him known to us. But when we talk about something being unveiled or revealed, we are saying we want something to be exposed to open view that has been hidden before. Like the bride when she comes down with her veil so you can't see her face. The husband lifts it up and unveils her hidden face. But when we say something is manifested, that is a different Greek term. And it means this. It means allowing light to fall on something that has been placed in the shade. Let me say that again. For something to be manifested is to bring something out of the shade that was always there. God, in the New Testament, brings Jesus out of the shade so that light can fall on him, so that we can clearly see this righteousness that Paul is talking about. Now, in the Old Testament, if you look at it rightly, Jesus is all over the place. He's in the sacrificial systems. He's, in the, he's being prophesied about, and now God manifests him. How does God manifest Jesus? How does he bring him out of the shade and into the light? How does he bring this righteousness to us so that we can see it clearly? Well, the answer is God came to earth. The way that God made this righteousness known is he made the way to himself become flesh and bones. And the way died, and he rose again. Let me try to help you see this very, very clear. Because I want you to see that Jesus is the righteousness of God. Now, a lot of us can say that. But do we understand it? Jesus is the righteousness manifested apart from the law. In verse 22, he makes it clear what this righteousness is. Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness is a person. See in church, and marvel at Jesus. I'm not talking about any Jesus. I'm not talking about the Jesus you want to make up in your head. I'm talking about the biblical Jesus is the righteousness of God. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. He's eternal. He created the world with God. He, he he healed the blind. He healed the sick. He's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That Jesus. Now you can make up these other Jesuses where 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 he's a genie and he gives you what you want and he gives you the car and the house and the club. You can make up the Jesus you want. But if you don't place your faith, if you don't set it on, set it on Jesus, that Jesus of the Bible, you are going to hell. You will go to hell. You got to set it on him. Set your hope on him. You got to set it on him, church. I'm preaching the only way. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, this is not relevant to my life, but it is relevant because if you die, (laughs) this is the only way. You got to set it on him. Because Jesus lived perfectly and then died for us and rose, he is now qualified to be the righteousness we need. In other words, if you got Jesus, you got righteousness. And if you have righteousness, you get salvation. No one gets to heaven except through the sun. All right, let me give you some more Bible here. Jesus in John says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who comes before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. All right, let me explain how this works. Let me explain how salvation works. When one places his faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, when you believe, God, by the Holy Spirit, unites you to Jesus. So much so that Jesus becomes your life. This is how Colossians puts it. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the gospel. Not only does Jesus die for our sins, but he clothes us in the righteousness of God. God literally takes everything that Jesus has done and accredited it to you. So if Jesus is perfect, you are perfect. Hebrews 10, 14, more Bible. For by a single offering, he has perfected for how long? For all time those who are being what? Sanctified. I'm going to pause right there. Really, really, really fast, and I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to pause right there because some of you in your mind may be saying, Dexter, are you saying that because God has died for me, that means I can do whatever it is that I want to do? I'm not preaching that at all, but I am telling you that good works will not save you, but they will prove that you are saved. But that's for another verse. Let's keep going. What do we need so desperately? Once again, righteousness. Another way of putting it, what we need so desperately is to be perfect. Why? Because in it within ourselves, we do not have the righteousness that God requires. Neither can we produce it through any human means. So let me make crystal clear what Christianity is about and what it's not about. Christianity is not about what you can do. It's about who are you in. Christianity is not about what can you do. It's about who are you in? Are you in Adam or are you in Jesus? It's the final question of the day. Now, this past week, I took my family on a road trip to Kentucky, and we went to go see the ark, and they rebuilt it as best they can, according to the Bible. I think is 12 buses long, 12 buses wide, and five stories high. It was a magnificent thing to see. Perhaps you recall the story this morning. God tells Noah what? Noah, I am going to flood the earth because of mankind's what? Wickedness. Wickedness brings judgment. Noah, I'm going to flood the entire earth, and I'm going to destroy every living creature. However, I'm going to save you and your family by having you build a large boat. now. Now listen, Noah. When I pour down my wrath on this world, anyone who is in the ark will live. And anyone outside of the ark will experience the wrath of God. I don't care if you're praying outside of the ark. I don't care if you're worshiping outside of the ark. I don't care if you're opening the door for the elderly outside. If you're on the outside of the ark, you're going to be destroyed. God did what he said. He flooded the earth. Can you imagine for a minute? Can we go there for a minute? Can you imagine the horror on the outside of the boat? The desperation, the lostness, the hopelessness. Can you imagine the hope inside the boat? The relief? Because to be in the ark is to be under the grace of God. And to be out of the ark is to be under the wrath of God. Church, I came to tell you, Jesus is the better ark to be. And Jesus is to be under the grace of God. And to be out of Jesus is to be under the wrath of God. John says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Because Christianity is not about what can you do. It's about who are you in. Number five, we all need the righteousness of Jesus. It is only his righteousness that saves us. Paul makes it clear we all need to run for cover this morning because we have sin. Therefore, the reign of judgment is coming, and we so desperately need to be in Christ. Who? The person next to you? No, all of us. Paul makes it clear there is no exceptions. Look at verse 23, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no ethnic or spiritual distinction before a righteous God. Gentiles condemn, Jews condemn, you and me condemn, why? For we have all sinned. We think because we got a degree or some fancy title, we are better than those in prison and those down on their luck. You are nothing but a glorified sinner. That's all you are. The same wrath that God has on the murderer is the same wrath he has on the college graduate. And I feel okay saying that because I'm a college graduate. Both have sinned. What is sin? What is sin, church? Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. All fall short of God's glory. And what does that mean? We all have fallen short of God's ordained purpose for us, which is to bring him glory by living righteously. I was, living, I was listening to Drake yesterday and just listening to him and how, how in his song, he's even encouraging people to boast and to live your life the way that you want to. I like me some Drake, but I was like, isn't is right? <laughs> God made us for his glory, but we don't live for his glory. Amen. Sin happens every time we choose anything over God. And how do we choose things over him? Every time we disobey God. I am going to do me is what we say. I'm going to do me. That's how we say it with an attitude. I'm going to do me. Okay, what nobody say. I know what your word says, but God, I'm going to do me. My happiness is more important than you being glorified. Now, don't get quiet on me now. We all seek our own glory. Social media might be the biggest witness of us seeking our own glory. Come on now. Just go through our timeline. It's all on there. And even some of us with our little religious posts. It's about us too. Now I'm not saying get off Facebook, because I'm still ranting about the playoffs and I'm not getting off until everybody understands how I feel. But my question is, do you believe all people fall short? Be careful here. Oftentimes I hear things like, He got a good heart, or they're a good person. It's important we know that when it comes to the righteousness of God, we fall short. Amen. Like Dekai at Cedar Point. Dekai <laughs> is my eight-year-old son. We go to Cedar Point, looking to get on every roller coaster in there. I checked. He was 48 inches. And I'm like, okay, dude, let's get ready to go. Let's get on these roller coasters. Let's have a ball. I dapped him up. He dapped me up, brought it in. Bah! If I don't come off the roller coaster, remember, I love you. I'm gonna always be that for you. I want you to know that, right? So, so so we go up to the roller coaster. We get to one roller coaster, the guy comes up to the cat with a pole. And he says, Come here. I'm like, uh, we got to get on the roller coaster. You don't understand. You, 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 you and I'm watching. And you know when they're measuring you, right? You got people going in front of you, so you looking like, man, that's ten people that just went in front of me. Let's, let's make this quick. Let's make this quick. So he tells he tells the guy to turn around. Guy turns around at the top of the pole. It says 52 inches. He stands to the pole. He's too short. Therefore, he couldn't get past the gate to ing- to get to his joy that he so desperately wanted. And I came to tell you that if you think you're getting into heaven, there's going to be a pole. And at the top of the pole, it's going to say the righteousness of Jesus. And you're going to fall short according to that pole. And you're not going to be able to get in. But hold on, I came to give you some good news. I wouldn't leave you at bad news. Now, when I was younger, my dad paved the way for his son to get into Odyssey Fun World. And maybe you don't know what Odyssey Fun World is. It's right across the border in Illinois. Oh, I love Odyssey Fun World. And every time I went to Odyssey Fun World, I would run to one place. I would run up to the go-karts. And when I got to the go-karts, because I was so short... The lady said, sir, you can't get in here. But she said, if you find someone that meets the requirement, you can ride with them. I just came to tell you that I found the one that you can ride with this morning. Let me tell you how John said it. John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let me tell you what Job said when he felt the one he can ride with. He said, I know that my Redeemer Lives. I came to tell you that if you're getting Jesus, if you take hold of Jesus, you found the one that you can ride with. And so I went to go get my big brother. And my big brother came in, and I got on that ride on the merit of somebody else. I came to tell you it doesn't matter how cute you are. It don't matter what shoes you got on. It don't matter the degrees you got on. You're going to come up short. But if you find the Lord Jesus Christ God. God will let you into heaven forever, and forever. Oh, Jesus Christ is all that and more, church. Oh, there's no one like him. I've been riding along with him now for over 10 years, and I came to tell you that he's sweeter than anyone else. He's perfect. He's loving. He's. I wish I had some witnesses in the building that knew what it was to walk with Jesus, to talk with Jesus, to be, can I talk about Jesus for a moment, the captain of my soul, the anchor of my soul, the one who's been keeping me, loving me, restoring me. He's my joy in the nighttime. He's my sunshine in the rain. Oh, he's the Adam's redeemer. Oh, can I preach this morning to you? He's the righteous branch of Jesse. He's the heavy, low bearer. He's the burden sharer. He's, he's the lily in the valley. Can I talk to you for a minute? He's the Lamb of God. He's, he's all that and more. He's, um, he, uh, he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all. Oh, can I brag on Jesus for a minute? There's no one like God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. His love is incomprehensible. Isaiah said, there's none like you in all of the earth. You got to excuse me for a minute. But when I think, uh, hold on, hold on, let me slow down. Hold on, hold on, real fast, real fast. Now some of us may be saying, Dexter, you need to calm down this morning. Some of you may be saying, Dexter, you need to leave it alone at this point. But you don't understand. That because of Jesus Christ, I ain't going to hell no more. Because of Jesus Christ, I'm a friend of God. Because of Jesus Christ, I'm no longer an enemy of God. When I think about all I've done, when I think about all the ways I've messed up, all the times I've fornicated and lied, All the times I didn't trust him. All the times I didn't lean on him. There were times when I was in my room crying. Saying, I don't think God going to want me no more. But I came to find out, church, that there's a righteousness that you can have this morning. Now, people can celebrate basketball teams winning they can celebrate baseball teams winning? You mean to tell me my soul is saved? Don't look at me crazy, D. Listen this morning. If you yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, tomorrow is not promised.